Welcome to The Edges of Lean. I'm Bella Engelbach, and in this podcast, we explore the human and creative side of lean thinking, unusual places where lean thinking is practiced. We meet people who are practicing continuous improvement in many different flavors and styles. So come along with me on a journey to the edges of lean. Episode 44, Continuous Improvement and Coaching Introverts with Jenny Toe. Coaching is essential to continuous improvement and brings the challenge of coaching different types of people. Jenny Toe is a coach and an introvert, and she joins me to talk about introversion and extroversion and how she coaches people with these differing energy styles. Jenny is an ICF ACC coach who is the director of River Life Coaching PTE Limited, her life coaching practice, where she coaches individuals to define success on their own terms, personally and professionally. Jenny Cho, welcome to the Edges of Lean. Hi, Bella. Thanks for having me on your show. Jenny, we do a lot of coaching in continuous improvement. It's one of the things that we've learned really helps make continuous improvement work and and you've been working on and uh, thinking about how to coach different types of people especially uh, coaching introverts so can we start by um, asking you exactly what is an introvert Sure, sure. And and uh, naturally, we are more affiliated to people who are similar to us. So I'm an introvert. So, so that's the backstory to why I'm so passionate about helping introverts. So a lot of people um, in the beginning would say that introverts are shy. So yes, introverts tend to be shy, but it doesn't mean that all introverts are shy. How we uh, term ourselves as introverts is because uh, of looking at where we draw our energy from. So, for example, an introvert in a group of people, uh, we feel drained much faster than extrovert. So that's why we need time by ourselves to recharge and re-energize before we can go out to the world again. Whereas an extrovert, if they are in a group of people talking, they want to keep going because that's where they draw their energy from. So simple uh, distinction between introverts and extroverts. Introverts draw energy from within. Extroverts draw energy from others. And... Do you do you have any idea how many people are introverts? There's a lot of introverts out there. It's just that in in this world that's quite noisy, especially in the workplace, introverts have to put up at times a more extroverted front just just to be heard. Um, I I don't have the the actual numbers, but we're not a minority. It's just that at times we put on a different persona simply. We want to kind of adapt to the environment. That's really interesting. Um, I know when I've done the the Myers-Briggs type indicator, um, when I do it thinking about myself sort of at home, I come out with um, with a pretty strong I, the introverted. Um, but when I, when I do the uh, type indicator thinking about myself, how I behave in the workplace, I actually come out a little on the e side and i think that that's actually a learned behavior that i that i developed mm. in order to be able to um be seen and heard in the workplace yes. uh, yeah so yeah so you you think that that that's that could be pretty typical that that introverts play extroverts in order to 
um, make their way through sort of an extrovert-oriented workplace? I think we all have our spurts or moments of extroversion. And, and for me personally, it's when I really reconnect with my purpose of doing it. Like for this podcast, we were talking before we started recording, both of us are passionate about helping women. So that's that's the purpose of me appearing as a guest on your show. So I'm very driven by purpose. And that's that's what you call this this moment of extroversion where I'm like talking and, and really engaging with you. After this, I will probably need some time to recharge and re-energize as well. And again, to answer your point, we are all human beings. So although we say we are introvert and we're more introverted and we're more extroverted, we are not boxed in. So that's why there's mm-hmm. a spectrum as well. We will tend to have an introversion tendency, but I am different from you and you are different from me. So we can't really say, ah, okay, all introverts are like cut from the same cookie uh, mold, right? That's that's not true. Wow. So let's talk about coaching then. So in coaching... Um, one of the things that we're taught to do when we when we start to to learn coaching is to learn about our client and learn to understand our client. How might we in engaging with somebody that we're coaching, whether they're a client or whether they're an employee in the workplace, how might we uh, you know figure out their introversion or extroversion um, as we're getting to know them? Well, I think nowadays, because of social media, a lot more people are aware. So when I have discovery calls, which is uh, what people call chemistry calls with potential clients who are interested in coaching, they will straight away tell me, oh, Jenny, I'm an introvert. And then I'll ask, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Then they will explain scenarios like, oh, in a team meeting, I don't feel like talking up, talking a lot. I, I feel like, you know, why can't I just share my ideas on paper and, and not say anything? Why did my boss say I need to show up in the workplace? So there are cues there. But okay, if, if the person doesn't know, I'll just explore with the person like what's, what's the issues that they are going through and then I can pick up things. Uh, introverts tend to think a lot in their heads and, and we are always in our heads. So a lot of times the client will say that, I don't think I should do this because what if I fail? What, what if people you know, think that I'm not good enough or you know, this idea isn't good enough, I'm not ready. So there's a lot of I, I, I. So when you hear things like that, the person most likely have introverted tendencies. On the flip side, the extrovert might say that, oh, sh- shush, you know, I should have done uh, a lot more thinking before I spoke, you know, things like that. So they they had gone off. They're like, I think I got into this problem because I didn't think things through. So there's a lot more uh, risk-taking as well. Again, this is a, a generalization, but there uh-huh. are traits there that you can pick up. Right, right. So when you you started coaching um, and you you were, were working with people with, with these different um essentially energy styles, how did you adapt your coaching? Well, one one thing good about coaching is that the coach isn't required to speak most of the time. (laughs) So the the percentage is probably like 80% of the client uh, telling you the story, telling you what they're going through. And the coach is listening, offering observations, picking up things that are possibly not said verbally, but there are cues there as well. So, Basically, I, I just get really curious 
and, and each client is different. So I just want to know, you know, what, what's going on with you? And that's where I pick up. And it's all, coaching is all client-centric. So it depends on what the client wants. So sometimes I, I have clients who've never experienced coaching before. They come and tell me, oh, Jenny, I have, uh, you, you tell me what I should work on. <laughs> so then I start to explore. I don't give them the answer because it's their life, yeah. right? So I start to explore, okay, if you tell me right now, what, what's really good in your life right now? So, so that's, that's a nice note to start. People will say, oh, this is going well, this is going uh, great and all that. Then I say, okay, if you had, you know, the resources and the help, what is that one area in your life that you want to improve? And that's where we start discovering what, what they want to work on. Okay, wow. Wow. So... Do you, in, if you have, you're in a discovery meeting, in a chemistry meeting, and you find that the client does have strong extroversion tendencies, would you still coach that person if they wanted to be coached by you? Well, Bella, it's a, another backstory to this. My first client, when I started my business in 2020, is an extrovert. And she found me on LinkedIn. And it's because I've been posting about, about women and about introversion. The first thing she said is that, Jenny, I like what you post, but I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So would you be, be willing to, to explore whether you, know, you want to be my coach? And I was very surprised. So maybe it's the yin and yang as well. And then she's still a client up to today. So, so that's a really long-standing client. Because for, for a coach, it, it, we don't need to coach the same type of people as we are. It's just meeting them uh, where they, they need help and then seeing how we can help. Yeah. So no issues. Oh, that's great. When you're working with somebody who's introverted, are there particular uh, sort of watchouts in terms of perhaps their thinking style that, um, that you want to pay attention to? I think a lot of times I'm guilty of that as well. When we come up with plans and ideas, we get paralyzed within ourselves by overthinking, by thinking of worst case scenarios. And that, the, that step outside our comfort zone or outside our head is quite a difficult first step to take. So I'm, I'm very gentle in the sense like discovering, you know, how important this idea is for them and, and what's really holding them back. So it's to get them to be aware what's holding them back. And a lot of times they would say, you know, after much reflection that it's their own thinking that's holding them back. There's nobody else holding them back. It's them. And then when they realize that a light bulb comes up and then the next step would be, what is that one small step that you can take so that you can move forward? Yeah, as, as we would say, you know, just just take that first experiment, right? It's a, it's it's not necessarily um, as, as scary as you think it is, but you don't know until until you really try it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so you can't tell someone, oh, you know, if you want to start a company, you know, what what uh, I guess you know, really straight away move to starting the company, and and that's maybe such a big step, right? So what you can do is like you know, maybe do something, talk to a friend about starting a company, and then take it from there. So those small steps get that idea going. Yeah, yeah, and that that's so consistent with what we uh, what we learn and practice in continuous improvement. It really is about taking those small steps. You so you you know you're not you never nobody ever you know, 
got to the moon in one step, right? You have to take many small steps and you're going to fail along the way. I'd be used an interesting word. And I want to explore that more. And that is reflection. And so reflection, of course, is an important part of taking a step, right? Because once you take a step, you actually want to reflect on what happened and was it different from what you expected to happen? And I was wondering, do you think introverts are more comfortable with taking that reflection step? Because I got to tell you, I have clients for whom the reflection step is just the hardest thing. That's the hardest part. Taking the step's not hard. Reflecting is really <laughs> difficult. Yes, I, I again, this is a generalization, but yes, introverts uh, do spend a lot of time thinking. So you would say that if you take that one step, just say we spoke, I spoke to a friend about starting a company, then I will go back and reflect like, oh, what, what did my friend say? Did I say the right thing? You know, is this feasible? So there's a lot of reflection going on in my head. Uh, so, so that's why, um, you know, introverts should really be encouraged to take that small step. And uh, for coaches like us, we practice empathy you know, to really understand. So we, we don't say that, oh, that's really a small step. You know, why, why aren't you able to do it? But it's really trying to understand what is blocking them from taking that small step. If it's to speak to your manager about, you know, your performance review and then saying your strengths. To us, it may sound easy. I know I can talk about my strengths, right? You know, but what is really stopping you know, them from saying that? It could be because they feel, you know, I don't have any strengths or I am not, uh, as valued as my colleague. So again, it's all in their mind, it's all assumptions. So in, in coaching, we ask them questions to challenge that assumption, but always underlined by empathy, never never harsh, never judgmental. I love that. I mean, empathy is so key, right? Just really, really giving people space to just be human. Yeah, just to be just to be human. And a lot of times I do find that when I hear a situation that I've been through before, I'm only human. So there's judgment, there's like, oh, I want to yeah. advise and, and I go into solution more. Then I ask myself in that sweet second, also in my head, thinking that Jenny, that's not your life. That's her life, you know. So you don't know what she's going through. You think you know, you don't know. That's when I come back and I'm like, okay, tell me how's your relationship like with your manager, you know, and, and then we start exploring really from her eyes, what she's seeing. And that, I think that's the power because when we start to see how they see their lives, their situation, then we can start opening up awareness for them. Right. Yeah. So you have made an interesting career um, transition yourself, right? So you were a lawyer um, and now you are working, um, as a coach, um, which is which is quite a switch. Can you tell us a little of that story? How did that happen? I think uh, the underlying thing is I've always wanted to help people. So when I was young, you know, I, I thought that being a lawyer means I can help people, you know, really help those who, who need the help. And of course, when I studied and I graduated and I went into practice, you know, things changed as, as, as with all things, right? We tend to be quite young and naive. So I do help people in my legal work, but I think that's more like an organizational or corporate level because I work in banks. So I don't really see the impact that I have on a person. And, and that's why there was something that was missing. I, I felt there was something that was missing. And Bella, I'm a Christian, so I also believe that this is what God has put in my life for this mm -hmm. space. I mean, I, I struggled with it because being intellectual, you know, it's like, hmm, are, are you sure what was going on here? So I, I prayed. I I I talked about. I talked to my husband about it. I thought about it, and I, you know, really spent a lot of time. And then it was only 
um, in end 2018 that I felt the desire to be a coach that strongly that if I didn't do it, it just got very uncomfortable. So I just had to take that step because it was just so strong, that, that desire to be a coach. And it's scary, but uh, like what we were talking just now, just take that small step. So I started exploring uh, schools to start coaching with and being legally trained, which is a very regulated profession. When I first explored coaching, I'm like, oh, there is no regulation. What's going on here? And, and I, I felt uncomfortable. So that's why I researched and I found uh, International Coaching Federation. I wanted to be part of a global body that does credentialing and, and recognition and also putting the coaches through training and, and uh, you know, supervision, mentoring. So, so that's why I'm an ICF credential coach. So it's, it's, it wasn't an easy journey, uh, but it's very fulfilling. And uh, starting the business at the peak of the pandemic was not easy as well. Again, I think yeah. uh, like what you said, it's a journey, right? So no one has reached the moon yet. No one has reached, you know, has, has become the master Jedi or, you know, has become the guru. We're all on our journey. So I'm still on, on my journey. I love that. I love that you you felt that call to really impact people personally and you, that you found a way to do it. I think that, you know, it, it's really it's really difficult for people when they are doing something that pays the bills. Right. But doesn't feed their passion. So I'm so glad that you that you found that path and you're on that way. And I, I I know this conversation about coaching is I think very pertinent right now. I think in the US there's a lot of conversation about coaching and the number of people who are calling themselves coaches who have not, have not been credentialed, have not taken any training, um, you know, don't ascribe to a code of ethics. And so that I do want to give a, a, a shout out to ICF, the International Coaching Federation. These are all things that if you if you're listening to this podcast and you coach, I strongly urge everyone to check that out and to learn about it. It's very important that you understand what the ethics of coaching are and that you you know the boundaries of coaching because um, the only reason sort of that we're not that, that it's not regulated, is because um, we are careful about what the boundaries are. And, you know, there are definitely boundaries that you don't want to cross over. You don't want to be doing therapy when you're not a therapist, yes. for example. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So Bella, yeah. that's also one key thing that I talk to, to my clients in the discovery calls, explaining the difference between therapy, coaching and mentoring, because a lot of times they think it's all the same. And there are people who come and tell me that, oh, oh Jenny, I'm fine. I don't need a coaching. And I'm like, okay, but do you understand what coaching is? So, so I do take pains to explain uh, the, the, the differences. You know, therapy is when you are dealing with an emotional pain or hurt and you want to get better. And coaching is actually, you, you may not, be good well you may be having some emotions about certain things but you're not you're not at that stage where you need therapy to talk about your emotion emotional hurts and pain so coaching we bring you from good to better to great yeah yeah and coaching is always about looking forward it's not yes. about looking back and and 
and solving, you know, past problems. It's really always about looking forward. So it's very, you know, very important for people. Yes. To yes. to realize that we do, we do that. spend time a bit, uh, like like just say my my client says I'm anxious at work. So we do spend time a bit, like trying to understand when was the first time you felt anxious at work. Then the guy says four months ago. But you're right. We don't stay like oh, what was the episode four months ago that caused you to be anxious and dig into the episode. It's mm-hmm. like okay, four months ago there was something that triggered it. Then now. How are you feeling? So like you said, we are moving the person to present, then present to discover how is it going now? And then how do you want it to look, you know, next week, next month? And that's how you move forward. Yeah. Jenny, I know I know you're passionate about helping women too. Um, and you're a, you're a wife, you're a mother, uh, you have you have a career. And um, I know that many of I would imagine many of your clients are in the same situation. What are your what's your sense of where we are as women now in terms of this idea of having it all and and trying to I always laugh when people say balance, but you know, balance your life. <laughs> I know, balance, right? You're juggling all the balls, something's gonna drop, yeah. right? And then this yeah. having it all. What is all? I mean, I had a conversation with a, a friend, a, a coach friend who was saying that. So she was saying, you know, we all have to define our all, right? So again, you know, with social media and what we read out there, um, successful career person would say that she has it all. Um, a mom who just devotes time with her kids would say she has it all. I mean, it's important for us to define our version of success, our version of having it all. And once you have clearly defined that, it doesn't matter, you know, if the other person is, you know, having it all in her sense, right? Because we are appreciating what we have. I think this comparison, uh, this this constant need of comparison, whether consciously or subconsciously, is really getting to us. And as women, we wear a lot of hats as well. So I think at times, our again, our energy has drained, whether you're introvert or extrovert. We are, we are giving, 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 doing, 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 and our cup has become empty. So how do you expect to give from an empty cup? So I also coach my clients to look to themselves. Have you taken care of yourself? Have you spent some time for yourself? And a lot of times they're like, well, Jenny, I don't have time for myself. <laughs> and I say, who's the most important person here, right? I've got to take care of my kids. I've got to take care of my husband, my parents, work, and my team. By the end of the day, if you are running on an empty cup or an empty fuel tank, you know, how, can, how long more can you keep going? Right, right, yeah, and and there's the, you know there's um, I think even though we so we live in a in a modern or a postmodern age, there are still expectations, right? Which maybe our own expectations are from our parents or just you know from our spouse even about what it is that is our work to do as opposed to other people's work to do or perhaps work that doesn't even need to be done, right? There are some things that it's probably okay if they don't get don't get done right but yeah. but you've got to we, yeah we, we do have a tendency to put quite higher expectations on ourselves and, and I, did, I do find that this is quite a common trait for women especially you know really successful women they feel that they are still not doing enough that the, the bar is still so high and if you question them who's setting the bar like you said it's probably their own bar that they're setting no one else is saying you should be doing you know this much more yeah 
Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, actually, um, just, just as a bit of an aside, one of the issues that I see in the United States, and I don't know how true it is in Singapore, but in the United States, there is an expectation that parents should be providing a perfect childhood for their children, that, you know, that the children should have, um, you know, every moment some entertainment, that every meal should be perfectly nutritious, that the children are 100 percent, you know, watched and guided 24 hours of the day, which means I think the parents aren't allowed to sleep. I'm not quite sure how that works. And I'm curious, you know, you're in Singapore. What is are there expectations like that of, of parents providing some of this a perfect childhood so you can produce, you know, a, presumably a perfect adult or uh, out of out of the process? I think that's a common human uh, issue. And I think here in Singapore, it's also very um, competitive academically. So when you say the perfect oh, yeah. childhood, whose expectation is, is it? Is it the parents' expectation that, oh, my, my child has to go to the top school here in Singapore and because of that, go to the top university and because of that, get you know a, a great job? Again, you know, if, is it the child's expectation or is it yours? So I think this uh, uh, about you know preparing the, the perfect childhood for your child, you need to understand first, you know, your child, uh, the personality of your child. I, I've got three kids and they are all very, very different. So I have to adjust, you know, I mean, being human and then being a parent, I do have expectations, but I do bring myself to understand that, you know, this, this child is different from the other one, you know, and how to meet their needs. And importantly is, is to give them empowerment to let them know that they can make the choices. Yes, uh, parents are there to give guidance when they're much younger, but I, I, when they're older, because I have a son who's a teenager, I, I've learned how to change my parenting style and to let go and to let him make the choices, even though mm. at times I don't agree with the choices, but he has to learn, right? So we're there. So I tell him that our door is open. You know, If you have any issues, feel free to come to us. Uh, we can talk about it. You know, it, there's there's no judgment. There's no you know harsh words and things like that. So I think when when kids are young, it's important to build that foundation of love and open communication. So a lot of times in Asia, uh, the older generation, like my parents and me, there's a hierarchy. So, so the parents know more than a child and it's almost like top down. So I think now with my generation and the, the generation after mine, we are more aware that you know uh, it's, it's not talking down, it's, it's open communication. And at times we have to bring ourselves down to the level of the child to understand. Like if you talk to a five-year-old and you start talking about the theory of discipline, <laughs> they won't get it, right? So you have to bring down yourself to explain the consequences of your action. Yeah. Yeah. And do you ever find yourself asking coaching questions to your children? It doesn't work, Bella. <laughs> they, know, they know that they are, they are very smart. Okay, you have to give credit for children. They are extremely smart. So when, when I start asking open questions, my son will know it's a coaching question. My daughters will know that, oh, okay, mom, are you trying to coach us? So it doesn't work. <laughs> but I think at times, the other skills, especially uh, really deep listening and empathy, that has helped me as a parent, where I can suspend uh, my desire. You know how all parents are, right? We have this strong desire to help, to cure, to make right mm -hmm. our kids so that our kids never feel hurt, right? But at times, sometimes they need to go through that hurt because then that will empower them to find the solutions themselves. So by, by being a coach, it's difficult for me, but I practice empathy and I sit and I just listen. 
as painful as it is, if my daughter is hurting, you know, emotionally, I just sit and I just listen. And sometimes that's when the great work is done because she has all the resources and the potential in her to be able to solve it herself. She needs that space. And which is which is exactly what coaching is about, right? So you're not necessarily using coaching questions, but you're using that empathy um, to to come to that result where she is able to think through and decide what her next step might be, whether it's a small step or a big step. Yes. Yeah. 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 So as, as we're thinking about what, um, about coaching, right. And in continuous improvement, we talk about coaching as being something that managers should be doing with their employees. Um, and that, um, you know, that people should be learning to look at a situation, think about what's really going on. So grasp the current condition, make a decision about what the next step should be. Do you have any thoughts about why there is so much need right now for people to get coaching outside of the workplace? What? Why is it not happening in the workplace? I think it's the definition of the relationship. So if you're thinking manager, direct report, or manager subordinate, again, there's a hierarchy, right? So if, if you want to think of a pure coaching relationship, we are peers. Uh, one isn't higher than the other. One uh-huh. doesn't know more than the other. We come in on equal footing. We're on partnership. However, as a manager, naturally, by the nature of your role, you can't come in saying that we are equal. It just doesn't work in, in the corporate workplace. However, managers can use coaching skills to better understand and empathize with their direct reports because each one is different. More so if the manager's extroverted and you have a team that has three introverts and you're more naturally inclined to hang out to, to give credit and, and to, to give or to hang out with the other two who are extroverts. So it's almost like creating, a, a, you know, like a camp, right? Like this camp of introverts and this camp of extroverts. My manager is very extroverted. He likes the extroverted people. You know, I feel left out. So how do I communicate with my manager? So if your manager, if the manager is more self-aware, he will realize that, oh, I am naturally inclined to my intro- extroverted direct reports. But then let me see what value or what are the strengths of my introverted direct reports. And in the one-to-one meetings, he can learn to explore more, to be curious, to understand, you know, why, you know, so-and-so is more comfortable telling me in a one-to-one. And when I ask this person to say it in a meeting, you know, she clams up. She doesn't say a thing. So what's going on? Right. So then, you know, he won't like tell her, you need to speak up more, you know then she will understand what, what is what support you need from me as your manager to get you to present you know, in, in the larger meetings. What do you want me to do for you? And Bella, I think another thing is that in a workplace and in this fast-paced uh, age that we're living in, managers don't have time. People don't have time. So we all have shortcuts in our mind. And, and that's why you know, a lot of times we just act uh, instinctively. So an extroverted boss who's really very direct will just tell the introvert, your report really, you know, didn't meet what I wanted. Can you do it again? <laughs> that just takes like, what, 30 seconds? Whereas, you know, if he had more time, he'll think about why did she deliver a report that wasn't what he wanted and wouldn't have been so direct because that command really hurt her, right? I mean, for him, it's just something he said in passing. 
he just wanted that report and he's direct and it wasn't what he wanted. So he just said it like that. So they, he didn't mince his words. Whereas for an introvert who's a bit more sensitive, she will feel hurt and she will take it on herself to say that, you know, now all the things that I do, he doesn't approve of. You know, it's in her mind again. For him, it's just that one report. For her, it's like a whole entire performance in the company. Well, and, and it goes back to, I think, what, what you said earlier. It's about self-awareness and empathy, right? So for a, a manager to really be effective with that employee, he or she might think they're saving time, right? That 30-second mm. conversation saved time. It actually didn't save time, right? What it did was, as you point, pointed out, was to make it harder for that employee, make them less confident, less likely to deliver what needs to be delivered, and then at the same time, th that means that things will get slower. So they're not really saving time. But the, if the manager does not stop and you know, think about how can I be more aware of my own impact on other people and how can I save time by spending more time now, which may be very hard for them because they're being pressed by their management, um, they're going to end up in a cycle that they almost, they can never get out of. And then they'll end up going to seminars on how to have an effective team. And, you know, and they could have had an effective team, you know, right there if they had just taken a few minutes to be more self-aware and to have more empathy um, with, with the people who are working for them. Yeah. True. So I, and, and the yeah. sad thing is that um, a lot of people say they don't leave the organization, they leave the manager. So people That's, may yeah. love the company that they work for, but if they're in a team where the manager's not empowering, the manager's a micromanager, the manager's too aloof, you know, not supportive, eventually that employee will leave. And that's the sad part. Right. Right. And they might they might hire a coach to help them decide what their, their next step is going to be in life. So, yeah. 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 I, I think every manager should have a coach. So then he can he or she can experience what coaching is about and also, you know, indirectly learn those skills as that person as, as he or she becomes more aware to be able to manage the team better. That, and I think that's so important because every interaction with an employee, Jenny, is a step, right? It's an experiment. You have an interaction with an employee and something happens that is either what you expected or what you didn't expect. A coach can really help you think that through, you know, help, help you with that self-awareness, help you with that empathy so that, uh, that you can be more effective. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's a very um, a very key thing. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a video I actually have it on my website um, from a surgeon who talks about the importance of having a coach as a surgeon, and he thought he was a marvelous surgeon, right? And he is a marvelous surgeon, but he actually had somebody just stand and watch him who was another surgeon, and they come back and ask him, "Why did you do it this way? Why did you, you know, why did you do?" Um, something else the coach is like a mirror to the client in your example so it's like reflecting back right so sometimes we are so busy we are so in ourselves that we are not objective so the coach asks those curious questions which makes you think that hmm, why did I do that actually <laughs> you know then, then yeah. you start figuring out like oh did I do that did I say that oh I, I didn't know it sounded so harsh until you reflected to me 
you know, then, then that's when you start thinking and you start getting awareness. Yeah. But you have to be open, right, to to considering mm. your actions as well. I think, I think, and that's that's what's hard about self awareness. You know? Yeah. For you know, yes. and I think I think for some people that they do, they spend a lot of time thinking about did I do that wrong? And I think, and as as you pointed out earlier, some people don't think about that at all. They just mm. go on to the next thing. Yeah. yeah, and I think feedback is very important. Both, uh, you know, the, the manager's openness to receive feedback and the manager's, you know, depending on the, the his direct reports, the delivery of feedback to his individual direct reports is also important. A lot of times, it, it's also, it's not just what is said, but how it's said. So in my example, you know, if that, that was feedback that the report didn't meet his requirements, but how it was delivered would have been quite hurtful to, to the more uh, introverted employee. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? That there are so many different kinds of people um, and we want to be empathetic and essentially successful with everybody. So I think it takes, I think it takes a little bit of, of being an anthropologist, you know, and wanting to, to sit and yeah, just and, to get really curious, right? And, and suspend judgment, or if you're aware that you're starting to have judgment, like, you know, similarly, you would be more inclined to be with people of the same trait, the same personality. Be aware of that. I'm not saying that you, you switch and then you, you hang out with people who are completely different from you. But at least you're aware that, oh, you know, I, I have tendency to hang out with this few people because they are like me. But let's try and find out what the other you know, the other group of people have to say. Yeah. Jenny, what do you see for the, as sort of the, the future of coaching? What if, what are you thinking about where coaching is going to go as a profession? Um, I would like to see it regulated. I think uh, both, both our hearts, you know, um, uh, we, we, we resonate on that. And I think there's also a push for people to say, no, let, let's just open it up to everyone. So I'm not saying don't open it up to everyone, but I think we, we should have a certain standard, a certain you know, strong code of ethics to adhere to. Otherwise, think of the damage you can do to someone if you're not properly trained as a coach. You call yourself a coach, you, you take that person through coaching, uh, but what you're doing is something completely different. So, you know, it, you are dealing with a person's life here. So there's a lot of responsibility there. And I think um, the trend now is for all this uh, digital online coaching platforms where a lot of coaches are, are you know, they, they work on those platforms to make coaching accessible to everyone. So not just the C-suite, but everyone in the organization. And if you're not working in an organization, you know, to, to, to people, just, just people out there in, in general, because I'm a life coach. Yes, I do coach people in organizations, but my passion is to, you know, empower one individual at a time. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it would be very interesting to see how regulation might happen. I mean, as you said, there are a lot of, it's a very broad word, right? And there's a lot of people who, are um, coaches in a lot of different kinds of situations, but there certainly is, I think, a, you know, a danger of, of people coaching who are not ascribing, as you said, to, to a code of ethics, or, or people who are unaware of the, the difficulties or the damage that they can cause for people. 
Yeah. So I mean, if it doesn't move into regulation, at least increase the education of what coaching is. And that's what I do, you know, talking to you on on podcasts and other podcasts. And I write about it. I want people to know what is coaching and what coaching can do and what the benefits you can get and what is not coaching. So I think if it's not moving to being regulated so soon, at least all coaches, uh, you know, educate the general public on what coaching is about. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's important. Jenny, what's your advice for a young person starting out in their career? You've made this big career switch yourself. What's your (laughs) advice? Yeah, I think purpose is important. I know it sounds cliche, but, you know, for a young person, you know, the world is your oyster and so many things out there. Uh, you so you may not know your purpose right away. So start exploring, be open about it as well. But, you know, at the same time, identify what your values are and what your strengths are. Yeah, and, and that's your starting point. So even now, schools in Singapore uh, are giving the children personality tests, you know, and, and uh, you know, kind of like those, uh, whether your personality fits a certain job. So it's again, not to pigeonhole you in that particular profession because you're an I, but it's to at least, you know, give them an idea what's available out there. So I would say, you know, explore because you're at this age that is great, explore. And again, don't be afraid to to fail. Don't see it as failure, you know, see it as an area of growth. And I think it's difficult because here in Asia, there's also quite a lot of expectations. I need to live up to my parents' expectations. Mm. If I fail, you know, what will that do, right? So I think a lot of parents are also starting to think more positively in that sense to let their children explore uh, options out there but once you know what your purpose is really reconnect you know if you feel that your purpose is to set up this community to help people you know in a particular area really connect with that purpose and yes there will still be challenges and all that but your purpose is what keeps you on track and, and keeps you going wow that's that's great that's such wonderful advice and and uh, yeah, there is that that inner purpose I think that everybody has. Sometimes it takes a long time to discover it, but as long as you're looking for it, um, uh, and uh, you will find it. It will be it will be made clear to you, revealed to yes. you. Yes, you, and it's a destination. It's, it's a destination. It's not an end journey. So yeah. you know, you you you'll be finding it, uh, honing it, changing it, or, or as long as you know it you see yourself growing. I think that's the important thing. Right, right. So it might not matter which school you go to because uh, you may end up in a very different place from where you thought you were going to be because your purpose will lead you there. Wow. Thank you so much, Jenny. Jenny, how can people find you? Well, uh, I have a website. It's uh, www.riverlifecoaching.com and I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. So you can find me under River Life Coaching or you can find me in my personal account under Jenny Toh. That's great. And Toh is T-O-H um, right. for those yeah. of you who, who are listening. Uh, Jenny, it's been so much fun talking to you and I wish you great success in your coaching. Thank you, Bella. Thank you. This is Bella Engelbach, and I'd like to thank Jenny Toe for being my guest on The Edges of Lean. How do you flex your coaching style with different types of people? And what are your thoughts on regulation of the coaching industry? We'd love to hear from you. Find Jenny on LinkedIn or at riverlifecoaching.com and start a conversation. 
find me at leanforhumans.com or on LinkedIn or comment wherever you watch or listen and tell a friend about the edges of lean. Please join me in exploring more of the edges of lean. There's a lot to learn. And check out my friends in the Lean Communicators community at leancommunicators.com. You'll find more podcasts and videos with lots of great new content every week. The Edges of Lean is written and produced by Bella Enkelbach with support from Podcast Inc. This is a Lean for Humans production.